Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday and welcome to HR Work Break. This week, I'm joined by Audra Nichols, Chief Operating Officer at MBO Partners. MBO Partners seeks to make it easier for enterprise organizations and independent professionals to work together. Audra, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it, Maddie. Me too. So the concept that we're going to be talking about today is being a digital nomad. And this whole sort of fad, I guess, if you could call it that, took the world by storm as the pandemic forced the workforce out of the office and into their homes. So there's a new phrase emerging in this space called tethered nomading. So what is it and how is it different from the initial trend? Really, it's the evolution of where we are after everyone was forced into their homes. So the studies show about 80% of organizations want their staff in the office at some point. It might be two days, it might be one day, it might be three days. So tethered nomading is kind of the evolution of work wherever you can to, you know what, we want to come back so that we can collaborate, we'll plan for it, but we recognize that people still want the flexibility to work from home. I think the other thing that's kind of cool about this, like if you think about it, right, when everyone was in their homes, you could be anywhere and you were there consistently. What our studies are showing, Maddie, is quite interesting is instead of like going to work out of Europe for three months, what this trend is now doing where I recognize I really could and I actually want to be in my office two days a week is that I might be working in shorter stints in much more local areas to where I live. Right. So you're finding that our our nomads are spending more time in the U.S., for example, than going to Europe because of this requirement and need to get back to the office for a day or two a week. Yeah, definitely. And like with the concept of being tethered, like having a main point that you revert back to, my experience personally is like sometimes I work remotely with my friends who all work for different companies, but it's allowed us to be able to explore our home city and just kind of find new spots and cafes and visit each other's houses while still being effective at work. Absolutely. And a lot, I mean, I'll say it also personally, like I miss my time collaborating with my colleagues, with my clients in person. And that's something that you can actually never replace. So we've actually brought it back into balance. And that's why they use the term hybrid or tethering. You know, anything when you swing the pendulum too far to one side is bad. It really doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, no, exactly. And do you have any advice for kind of formulating a hybrid work best practice for your individual company? Because some people might be good to be in two days a week. Some people might be good to be in four. How do you assess what your company needs, basically? Yeah, I think it really is based on the type of industry that you're in. So for example, you know, I spent most of my life in consulting and to a large degree, consultants are back with their clients. But it's not you've got to get on the plane Sunday night and come home on Thursday because both the clients and the consultants have kind of changed the expectations. And really, if you get down to this, this is all about expectations. I think in terms of choosing as an organization, it's like you really need to know your workforce and their needs and wants. You know, it's fascinating, actually, as you ask this. Just last month here in my small company, we did a survey of our folks to say, do you have what you need to work remotely? Would you want something else? Do you think we should be in the office together more? 
And I would say the majority, if not 96% said, I'm actually more productive. And here are the tools you've given me that have helped. So I think you need to look at, as an organization, the tools. I think you also kind of need to look at risk and the risk profile of your business. And how much do you really need to know where your people are and how often? And then actually from a service delivery perspective, what truly requires and shortens that cycle of kind of internal collaboration. So like if you're doing a strategy session, for example, as an executive team, it's kind of hard to do remotely, right? Even though you're all on video, like I've done it. And so we come back together intentionally for those strategy sessions because the way things flow in a not like unstructured environment is quite important to actually getting to the outcome. And you can do it in four hours instead of, you know, three sessions of an hour each. Yeah, much smaller scale, but like my boss and I have one-on-one -on -one meetings every two weeks. And the difference in the breadth of subjects we cover when it's remote versus when it's in person is just kind of night and day. Yeah, totally, I agree. And you had mentioned earlier that it's important to know your workers. And I read in MBO Partners' recent survey that while tethered nomading originally appealed to younger workers, there are silver nomads or Gen Xers and baby boomers. And that population of remote workers increased from 36% to 42%. So my question for you is, why does digital nomading appeal to a multi-generational workforce? couple of things about that. First of all, I think the term nomad has like when I first heard of it years ago, like I'm picturing like a dude with dreadlocks in his van, right? <laughs> like that, I'm not picturing me. And now it really no longer is this outlier. It truly is mainstream. But if you think about those numbers, the stats that we found have changed. If you really do think about the generations, the folks who are Gen Xers like myself or even baby boomers, they've reached a point in their life. They no longer have school age children. They don't need to get them to soccer or Taekwondo at night. And they have the lifestyle and in many respects, the actual income level that allows them to be far more flexible. So if I want to, and I do this often, if I want to go visit my father on a weekend, I might fly on a Wednesday night and work there Thursday and Friday so that I can be available to prepare for the weekend because I don't have to worry about someone watching my kids or missing a basketball practice. So it really does make a lot of sense. What I found really interesting and led to my first point that surprised me when we got the research for this year's Digital Nomads Report, which came out in August, is that the average nomad age, I don't know if you saw it. Do you know what it is? I don't remember it. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's 39. Oh, wow. Now, if you ask your average person, they're going to say, ah, 28, because they're thinking of these young unmarried folks who are just traveling. But it really is 39. That is the average age of the nomad today, which I actually think speaks volumes to it no longer being a hip thing, but being a choice of a lifestyle where people are like, I can balance multiple elements of my life and actually bring a level of happiness and exploration that I always felt confined with, you know? Yeah. And honestly, that sounds like the exact description I've gotten from my parents and my friends who are in their 30s. Like once you hit your like mid 30s, you're like, I know who I am at this point. I'm financially responsible and stable, which brings kind of like that added freedom and flexibility to, for example, like you said, be a digital nomad. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of the digital nomad survey that you guys conducted in August, are there any other major takeaways or statistics that surprised you or you think the HR industry should be aware of? 
I think we mentioned some of them. First of all, it's not just young workers. Basically, the hypothesis based on what we've been looking at over the last couple of years is that it's kind of here to stay, but it, the pendulum has swung back. The other thing that I think is quite interesting, and what we do contrast a good amount in there and compare, is that it's for every type of worker. So it's for the FTE, the person who's worked for whatever, you know, Citibank all their lives. You know, as in-demand talent grows, like I'm a big fan of, and I write often about skills-based, competency-based staffing, right? And so if you think about like the independent contractor, as they grow in terms of the amount of time they spend or how organizations engage independent contractors, they are also a key part of it, but not the only part of it. So I think it's a sign of a trend to come. And if you really want to attract and retain the best talent, I believe you should have a mix. You should have a mix of type of resources and not confine it to a location. I mean, you may remember, you may not remember, but I vividly remember when I was working at the consulting firm where I was for essentially 20 years of my life. And to me, it's crazy now. We recruited based on location. Like, who cares? Do you know what I mean? So you recruited based on, all right, we need West Coast or East Coast and and that is far less of a requirement today. What is most important is you get the right people for the right role. And I contend you should also think about, is this really an FTE based? I need to have an employee because it's a job that's never going to change. Today, jobs change, right? Or should you think more about the skills, the competencies, the ability to contribute immediately? And it may be somebody you only need for three months or six months. And then that skill base changes in the future. All those things support kind of flexibility and a, a big shift in kind of the staffing, demand management, client delivery model today than what we certainly knew 10 years ago and to some degree, even five years ago. Yeah, no, in the recruiting space, I've seen this massive shift from hard skills to soft skills, like the idea that if you have someone for a role that's a collaborator that can learn on their feet, stuff like that, you can teach them how to work whatever program but you're not going to be able to teach them whatever like core leadership capabilities they have. Exactly. I actually posted something about that just yesterday. I do a quote um, on Wednesdays. Every Wednesday I do a quote from nice. somebody. And yesterday I did one from Rockefeller and it talks, I can't remember exactly what it says now, but it talks about, I'd rather hire somebody with enthusiasm than somebody with, than somebody who knows it all. Right. And really comes down to, you know, hire hungry, hire for those who want to contribute. You can teach skills, but you can't teach character or flexibility, you know, but you can teach skills. Now, that varies based on what you're looking at for sure. But I think just even in today's world, the need to acknowledge flexibility across every element of how you make a business run is so much more palpable than it was before, whether it's where people work or what skills they bring to the table or the mix of your employees versus your independent contractors, or the expectations of amenities or time off or balance of a much different generation today than the Gen Xs are. In an HR space or a C-suite space, you have got to see all these pieces and make it mesh together. One size does not fit all in any of those topics. Yeah. And ultimately, if you embrace that flexibility, you're going to get much more out of your workers. Just like from what I've seen in the handful of jobs I've had since I graduated college, like if you let people leave early to go pick up their kids, they're going to appreciate that. That's going to foster trust. That's going to foster a want to like come into the office early to make sure that they're getting all their work done before they peel out. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of flexibility, 
like how can embracing flexibility, which is demonstrated through tethered nomading, improve retention and recruiting and employee happiness in companies? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the flexibility is the key. You've got to recognize the variance among your workforce, whether it be generational expectations about how and where they work. The pandemic did teach us that work can get done in a non-traditional environment. What that means is that we have to evolve our policies, our expectations as an organization to actually meet that, right? To some degree, the worker is always your best asset, right? People are always your greatest asset, but the worker has more influence over the culture of an organization than the organization does over the culture of the worker. And I think that's a huge swap, right? Think about it. Think about years and years and years ago. I mean, it really wasn't that long ago, but people would show up expecting a pension. So they followed the rules so they could get that pension. Well, less than 10%, some studies would actually even say 3% of organizations today actually have a pension. Whereas in 1980, it was over 70%. That's how much it's changed. So from an organization leadership perspective, if you're responsible for the people model or human capital, you must have your fingers on the pulse of the worker because they have far more influence in what you're going to achieve as an organization today because of the expectation and the reality that we can get more done in a non-traditional environment than we could even 10 years ago. Definitely. Yeah. Man, that inversion of culture is, is interesting. I've never really thought about it that way, but it totally makes sense, especially with the more recent shift to the remote workspace where it is less based in a location and more based in the people who are on your team. Right. Some leaders think that means that I need to give up the structure discipline of my organization for this quote, younger generation. I don't buy into that at all. It means that you have to acknowledge what your asset is. And as our environment changes for things we obviously can't control, we couldn't control the pandemic, right? If your leadership isn't willing to evolve with it, with those expectations, you will lose. You will lose as an organization. You won't get the best and brightest. You will see your margin drop. You won't deliver service to your clients at the pace that you've been expected to do it. You won't innovate and build the best next mousetrap. You just can't. Do you have any advice on how to like stay on that cutting edge while also mitigating risk? Like the biggest risk people think of with remote work is like cybersecurity problems, for example. I think you have to be intentional about it and you have to know what your risk profile is. So if you talk about like the cybersecurity risks, I mean, these are the same risks that have existed before, but you know, cyber is a much bigger issue, but I think you've got to be far more intentional about it. So let's think about what those are. A couple of things like hardware, right? Like in my world, if you're using independent contractors, you have to make a decision. Do I give them my hardware or do they use their own? Because if they use their own hardware, what if they accidentally leave one of your spreadsheets on the system for the six months they work for you, right? So that's a very tangible thing that organizations can put in place immediately and most do. The other thing is software. You got to keep your software updated. But if you think about a nomad, right, where are they working? Like, how often do you work from a Starbucks? I do. When I'm like, I got to get out of this house. I'm going to Starbucks. When you go to Starbucks, do you turn your VPN on? How many people actually do that? Because the VPN is what's going to protect your organization. So there has to be good education. There's simple things. If you have a good IT security department, they take care of that. But it's training the worker to think with that context first. I don't, honestly, I was not always thinking about my VPN if I went to a coffee shop. But you really should because that's going to protect it. 
Another thing that you see a lot about because identity theft is, has nothing to do with an organization, but it's bigger and bigger these days is password managers. Like literally the number of passwords we have in our life. And so you want to simplify because you're overwhelmed. So I'm going to make everything the same password. You can't do that. Your employees can't do that. If you have independent contractors, they can't do that because if a bad guy gets one, gets them all. Those are the types of things we need to be thinking about. I would say the other thing that I, I'm not sure is as top of mind, but there really are like laws, tax consequences, rules and regulations to where a worker is working. And an organization needs to be intentional about knowing that, right? So for a couple of reasons, let's say you, Maddie, decided you were going to go work in Italy for the month of August, right? Because what a fantastic place to be in the month of August. And you're going to work in Italy, but you don't tell anybody and something happens to you. You fall ill, whatever it is, right? That's actually a risk to the organization as an employee or as an independent contractor that you're in a place that they don't know and your physical being could be at risk. So it's something as simple as that. It's also if you work in certain jurisdictions and you're working, you're generating revenue, you're logging your time, there are tax rules by state, by county, all across the country, even if you're staying in the U.S., that you really, really should consider. Now, I come out of a very strict professional services environment, so I that was inbred in me at the age of 25. If I traveled to Chicago and worked in Chicago for eight hours, my tax thing said Chicago, right? You don't need to be that extreme, but these are the types of things that organizations should be thinking about. If for no other reason than that connection to their worker to truly understand who they are and what they're doing and to protect the organization at the level you choose. Yeah, definitely. Since this podcast airs on Fridays, what are you looking forward to this weekend? This weekend, I've got a good answer for it. I'm actually driving on Friday. I live in Florida and I'm driving to Savannah to see my son and his girlfriend. So I have big plans for the weekend. Now, what does a mom do when they get there? I'm going to get there Friday night and they work in the restaurant business right now. So I'm going to do what moms do. I'm going to make sure the laundry is done. I'm going to clean out the fridge and throw away all the stuff that doesn't belong in there, clean out the freezer and go to Costco. That's my big plan for Friday night. That sounds really nice. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I'm doing. Oh, that's awesome. I've only been to Savannah once, but it's such a cute area. Some of our family friends are originally from uh, Savannah and they go there every single year. It is a really, really cute area. You know, they moved there without really knowing it, but my son's girlfriend is getting her master's degree at Savannah College of Art and Design. Both of them went to Ringling College of Art and Design in Sarasota, Florida. So they're artists. That's so cool. Which is the complete opposite of mom. <laughs> so it's quite interesting, but I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you for asking. I hope you have a great visit with them and I hope they really truly appreciate all the effort you're going to put into taking care of their fridge cleanliness wise and restocking wise too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure they'll appreciate it. It'll be a surprise. when they get it. Yeah. Oh, that's a sweet surprise. That's always good. But again, Audra, thank you so much for speaking with me today. This has been a great conversation. Thank you very much, Maddie. I hope you have a wonderful weekend also. Thank you. Again, I'm Maddie Collins and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.